right, Mark chapter number 10, and uh, we're just going to keep going here and really kind of clean up a couple things from last time and then bring us to the rich young ruler. So we'll just go as long as we are, and then we'll be call it an evening. Last time we got down through the first 12 verses there about the issue of divorce. Um, and again, the Pharisees are trying to catch the Lord. They're trying to trick him. So they pulled the old rabbit out of the hat for John the Baptist that they used for uh, where he lost his head when he confronted Herod about uh, having Philip uh, having Herod uh, having Philip's uh, wife. So they tried to kind of run that around. Again, they're just trying to get the Lord uh, and to be able to accuse him uh, of something. So. Uh, if you look there at verse 6, it's an interesting thing here. But from, the Lord says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Now, that's a very wonderful verse, from the beginning of creation. It tells you that the Lord believes in creation. <laughs> he doesn't believe in evolution. He doesn't believe in any of the wacky ideas out there. I was reading just the other uh, yesterday about the flat earth people. There's some things that he doesn't believe in any of that. He believes in creation. He believes in male and female. Uh, that issue then of the marriage institution. It's not male and male or female, female. It's male and female. So, again, last time we looked through here, I showed you those four institutions that are necessary for the orderly maintenance of humanity, of society, of culture. That issue of volition, then marriage. Marriage then produces a family. That's the natural progression of it. And then after the flood, we have the issue of, uh, of uh, nationalism introduced and the issue of a kingdom and human government. And really the issue of nationalism is introduced, again, because of sin. What has happened here? Well, volition and marriage and family, you know, volition and marriage were good, and then sin hit, and it's been downhill ever, ever since. And what the Lord is doing here in Mark is he's saying, listen, you're going to need the first three institutions in place in order for, number four, the kingdom to come in, to be properly brought in. So in order for the kingdom to come in, to bring in his reign in the earth, what, were, what was going to be needed? The issue of volition, make some choices, marriage and a family, and that issue of passing down the, 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 the doctrine, that issue of godliness, that issue of a godly generations. And, and that's really what's happening here. Now, these folks understood completely and totally about the literal, physical, visible aspect of the kingdom. What they were missing was that spiritual component. And because, that's why the Lord's going to do and say what he does and how he says it. When th they were missing that spiritual component that was going to be, that's really... <laughs> that's really required in order to function in the physical kingdom. You've got to have the spiritual to function into the physical. So the Lord here, he's going to stress the spiritual side with him. That's why in verse 11, he says, And he saith unto them, if you go back up to verse 10, 3, 10-3, And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? Here's what Moses, the old covenant said, which is don't physically do the activity. Now I'm going to say to you, I'm moving, I'm advancing the ball here to a heart issue, the spiritual component, the need of that circumcised heart that would then be there in order to produce the physical issue. So as we... Come into here, again, Matthew 10.3, what did Moses command you? In Matthew 19, we looked last time, have ye not read? So now we have a have ye not read crowd. So now we have, 
you know, basically, haven't you read your Bible? You know, what have you been doing? And again, the issue is the written word of God. These guys here, they did not have the original language. They didn't even have the original Hebrew language. It has been polluted down through time over the different nations. So what did they have? They had the written, they had a copy of the written word of God. Come over to Matthew 22. And again, have you not read? What did Moses command you? So now the Lord is going to make the written word an issue. He's going to hone in on this. He, not the traditions of men or the traditions of the elders or what this group says or that group says or who this guy. What does the scripture say? That's why coming in, Brian took the picture Sunday of the group you know, that he does for the Facebook and I was impressed that he caught that uh, thing across the, what saith the scriptures, Romans 4 there, because that's the issue. Nothing else matters in the scheme of things. What the, the only thing that matters is the written word of God. So if you look at Matthew 22, look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Notice you the they you don't know the word. You do err not knowing the word. So when and by the way, when you don't know something or you're struggling with something, stick it in the back of your mind, but keep reading. Eventually you find a verse. We we were talking, I was getting ready for the men's fellowship Saturday. And we're um, studying about the gap theory and some of the stuff going on in Genesis 1-2. And, and a piece of that verse has always bothered me. So I just stick it in the back. And all of a sudden I'm reading. And I'm moving through. And I'm like, wait a minute. That answers that stick. Okay? And it was about the water, the deep. I'm like, wait. Now that answered that. Now that answers this. And all of a sudden... The string, in my mind, the string got pulled and about 10 verses fell into place, okay? Well, that's how you, you don't, don't go read a book about it because I don't know anybody who's written a book about water in the Bible other than water baptism, but you just keep going. Again, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. Verse 31, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying? And then he quotes um, Isaiah there, and off he goes. Or I'm sorry, Exodus 3. Sorry, not Isaiah. Isaiah's coming, okay? <laughs> Exodus 3. Notice that verse 31 has both inspiration and preservation in it. Great verse to define. Have ye not read... That which was spoken unto you by God. There's inspiration, the doctrine of inspiration. That which is spoken unto you by God. Then he says, have you not read that? Literally, he preserved it. So now you can read it. And again, what they're, they're, they're reading a copy of what God said in Exodus 3. That's what they're reading. They're reading it in their language just as if God said it originally in their language. Because, again, these guys don't have the original Hebrew. It's been polluted. It's been, it's kind of like, it's been Americanized. You know how our English has been Americanized? You know, and what are they, Splanglish? There was, you know, it's just butchered. And the, if you paid any attention to the funeral of the queen over there and listened to those guys speak, I watched BBC to watch it, and Linda's like, this is boring. I said, yeah, but just enjoy the way they speak because it's very, and it's very deliberate, and they've thought about it, and then they say it. Then they move, and then it's bam, bam, bam. And, and to, then you get the Americanized reporter, and, blah, 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 and it's like, what'd they say? <laughs> and, but this is, have you not read? What script, all, that's, all the scripture's given, it's written down, all scripture is given by. It's done, it's down, you have the word of God. They have it in their hands. What did the word say? They don't know it. And that's another interesting, come back to Mark 10 thing here, 
that the Lord, first of all, he says, listen, in the beginning, God said it this way. Now, because of sin and your hardening of your heart, Moses had to give you a reprieve on the divorce thing. Otherwise, we'd be killing you. Okay? So we gave you a little... But, but I'm going to tell you, out in the future, you're not, gonna, you're not off the hook. But under that new covenant, guess what they won't have? They won't have that sin thing, nature there. They won't, ha- they won't have that tendency to do it. So when we come back here into Mark 10, again, verse 6. By the way, what you see there when he says, have you not read? What did Moses command? What you see is God's at the, the you see the Lord's attitude toward the Bible, the scriptures. And we should have the same attitude of, hey, this is God's word and we need to be paying attention. Okay? Now watch verse six. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh so then they are no more twain but one flesh so the great question comes up that if you if you if you have sex with someone are you then married to that person these verses are saying no okay now sex the activity you remember that lady that had five husbands and he says and you're living with one that isn't your husband see she had five and you're living with one so sex isn't what makes the marriage. What makes the marriage is the twain are what? One. Okay? Now, the sexual activity is geared for marriage. It's supposed to be there, but that isn't what makes the marriage. By the way, if it is, then verse 11, And he said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against He wouldn't have said it that way. He would have said, if you just go commit adultery, what are, you're, you're, you're messing around. But it says, no, be married to another. So the issue of marriage is the issue of the oneness. It's that rebuilding of, 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 of man. Adam and Eve were in one. He pulls Eve out, separates that out, and then he marries them back together. And that's the picture here. Humanity is not represented by a man. Humanity is not represented by a woman. Humanity is represented by the union of the man and the woman, where they takes both to represent humanity back together. And that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate picture here that he's in. Look, guys, you got volition, you got to have marriage. Because now, verse 13, where we left off, and they brought young children. The ultimate expression of that union is going to be children. That's what the design is. That's the mandate given to Adam in Genesis 1.28. We're going to get over there in just a minute. They're the, so you're, he bring the children. So again, volition. You're going to make a choice. You're going to get married, and then you're going to have a family. Verse 13, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he said, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Now, Verse 14 and 15 are powerful statements here, okay? He ju- he's, a, he's establishing the family unit as the critical component of, look at, the, of, in verse 14 there, the end of it, of such is the kingdom of God. Suffer them to come, al- suffer, allow them. Don't, hi- don't hinder them, don't hold them back, allow them to come. And when you think about what he's saying here, marriage is designed to produce the family, the children. He, he's establishing that that relationship, that relationship with them and that purpose of marriage, they're going to be fruitful, they're going to have children, they're going to multiply, the children are going to have children, Genesis 1.28, okay? They're going to fill up the earth, 
But what are they doing? They're passing on godliness. Okay? They're passing godliness from parent, parents, to children. And then children to their children and their children. So when he says there, of such is the kingdom of God, it's in the family. It's in, the, it's in that whole unit there that, hey, units of families are going to make up the kingdom of God. And it's that issue of, of godliness. And again, you're passing it on to the next generation. Here, I'm not in the age of grace, it's the same thing. That's why with the kids next door and the kids, what are we doing? You're catching it. You're giving you, you got those little regrets for like 30 seconds to get a verse in there because then they're on to something else. And then you try to hit another verse in and you get verse in that mush. And maybe you only get a piece of it, but you get something. And then all of a sudden, you know what they learn to do? They, they learn to, to love. They learn to share. They learn to give love. They learn to live God's way. Think how God thinks about things. And what you're doing is you're passing that on. And they pass it on. They're passing on the culture. In Israel's case, the, the kid back in Deuteronomy back there, uh, Paul says, uh, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That issue of bringing. Don't send them, bring them. And when you study that out in the Old Testament, the kid asked the dad, Dad, why do we do what uh, they're sacrificing, all to, okay? Why do we do this? And dad explains why. What are you doing? You're passing it on. Adam takes Cain and Abel, teaches them about the Passover. Genesis 4, when it was time, Cain brought wrong, Abel brought right. So what, what's happening here is in the family dynamic, you're passing on godliness, and it's the, he's establishing the principle here that the kingdom of God is going to be established through these institutions. That's why they were originally given. Not just the physical, but the godly, the spiritual side as well. That needs to be passed on. So in the family, what are we passing on? We're passing on the, the culture of Husband and wife, married, family, and the family dynamic. So what happens is, is mom and dad really quickly become important. Parents are the, are the great influencers in their kid's life. No one will ever influence children more than mom and dad. And that's how God set it up. They're going to learn from mom and dad. And then they, they live the rest of their lives and what they learn. My mom told me one time, she goes, I'm so sorry we beat you. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm kind of glad you did because I'm not a degenerate, you know, because I know some kids who got away with murder and they're degenerates, you know. And she's like, I have a flat spot on the back of my head from the whack, you know. Not, I do have a flat spot, but it's not from that, okay, <laughs> you know. But that's what do you do? The Donozo slap, exactly. Well, that was the Rick slap. Quack, you know. That's like the little girl was asked, what's your name? And she said, no, Mary. <laughs> that's my name, no, Mary. <laughs> Come on, you guys wake up. It's only Wednesday night, all right? Yeah, I've been up since 4.30 this morning, so come on. Anyway, some of you have been up earlier, too. So what are we to do here? Verse, four, verse 13. 10.13. And they brought the young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Again, here's the whole process. And it, he's pressing the issue that the kingdom is more than the literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic thing. It also has a godly side, a spiritual side. And they know all about the physical, the literal, physical side, but they're missing the spiritual side. So he's honing in on this aspect of, hey, the institutions that were originally given in creation 
Their whole design was to get to right here where we're at. And you guys need to be aware of that. Now, notice how he uses that suffer the little children. And we have seen the little children issue come all through Mark. If you go back up in chapter 9, if you look there, and, and there, there's, a real, there's, a, there's a reason why he's using little children. Look at Mark 9. Look, if you will, at verse 35. But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. Remember, they had this, they're having this big argument. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be least of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth, uh, I'm sorry, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Notice how he takes a child and he equates it to servant, to service. The reason for the child is the Lord is taught, he's, He's going to begin to talk here about the status of that, of that simple heart of faith in God's word. The child wasn't designed, it wasn't for the child to go out and build a big building. What does a child do? Just simply trust you. Why did you do that? Well, because dad said so, mom said so. Auntie said so, grandma said so, uncle said, whatever, whatever it is, they, they have that trust of a child. And in 1015, that's what he's getting at. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Mark 10:15. How does that child receive this? Simply believing it, trusting it. They don't, they don't question it. There's no, there's no dig down. Why? You know, why? Why? Why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why? No, they just simply trust it because mom and dad told them. Okay? I'll come back in chapter 9 again, and we see a picture of that. Remember the, in, in 9, oh, shoot. Remember when they come down off the mountain and they can't, and he runs into the rest of the disciples and they can't heal the kid, the young man, verse 19. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Here's the Lord talking to the disciples and he calls them what? Faithless. Now keep reading. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Again, the, they bring him. The child is under tremendous uh, persecution and torment, verse 21. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters, to destroy him, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, and what? Help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Now watch the father, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, what? I believe. Notice that issue of, I, what did the Lord say? He says to the, to the Lord, have compassion on us. And the Lord says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And what does he say? I believe. But then he goes on in verse 24, help thou my unbelief. What he's saying there is, I believe you can restore him. All this other stuff I don't understand yet, so help me understand that. But first, let's take care of my boy, my kid. I believe help my unbelief see that's what that child's going to do i believe i don't know everything again a child doesn't know how to build a building but what does he do? 
I believe, then we'll work over there. He's still a child. So when the Lord calls the children here, again, he's not, I heard a guy one time, he's a politician kissing babies, you know, and I'm like, he's not kissing, everybody loves a baby, you know. They always said there's never an ugly baby, but I've seen some ugly babies, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I've just seen some pretty, okay, you know. But the thing is, is everybody loves a baby, you know. Not everybody gets along with babies. I enjoyed my kids once they started talking, and we can have a conversation. Somebody else said that, too. Um, anyway, uh, one of the comedians. <laughs> Come over to Isaiah 28. So the thing here about the, ba- about the children is not just willy-nilly, he just picked a kid up and, no, th- there's something going on here. Because, and what he does is he, the Lord's using children to demonstrate their need. And he's demonstrating the fact that what they need is they need that simplistic belief, the simplistic faith. Look at Isaiah 28. Look at verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. Now, this is about Judah, okay, and Ephraim and everything going on, all right? But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. So they're that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now, that's a mess. That is a description of the spiritual condition in Israel that has produced a physical condition of just I mean, vomit on the table, filth, just pure, pure, a mess. But notice in verse 9, whom shall he teach and whom shall he make to knowledge, under, uh, understand doctrine? See, look, look at, this is what they're supposed to be doing. But look at their condition. They're weaned from the milk. He's talking about a baby no longer nursing. This is a child that's no longer nursing. They have grown up, but they're still acting like children. They haven't progressed in understanding. Verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. With the stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Notice that there's a, there's a progression of the teaching, okay? But these, these guys aren't there. They're not teachable. A child are, is teachable because they'll trust what you're teaching them. So the, chi- the children are the result of the same decision-making process. You got a choice in the matter. You get married. You have kids. And what do we do? We train up those kids, and we pass that along. They get married. They have children. We pass it along. I'll come back to Mark 10. So when he uses children, it's for the, it's for the illustration of, hey, you need, to be wise, you need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You need to be just in that simplicity of faith, and they're not. Okay? So what does he do? Verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Now, that's what he does with the, with the children. He puts his hands on them, 
and he blessed them. Now, what usually happens is, is they say that the Lord blessed you, and it's done through a sacrament, and some spiritual energy moved from me, then zapped you. And that's not what he's doing at all here, at all. Rather, he's conveying some, he's not conveying some spiritual energy to them, like in the sacrament, like they say about the sacraments, but rather he's identifying who they are. That's what he's doing. He, com he comes, he, he says, you guys are the ones who are going to accomplish the purpose in the kingdom. I'm going to bless you. So to, to bless is to speak well of. That's what it is. Come back to Genesis chapter 2. Here's the first time you see the issue of the Lord blessing something is in Genesis 2. You guys see what's going on here? Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Why did he rest? Because all the work's done. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says that God doesn't get weary. Now, as man, we know the Lord gets weary, tired. He put his head down on the boat and everything. He's not about, oh, I'm worn out after six days of work. Rather, what is it? He, he's, his work is done. Now watch verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in that he had rested from all his work which God created and made. First time God blesses anything is in this condition, is, is in the connection with what he did on the seventh day. What did he do? He's made creation for the purpose of dwelling in. I've chosen Zion to be my dwell, my habitation. Psalm says, I'm here. And guess what? It's ready. So he says, hey, it's ready. And he sanctified it. He set it apart for service of God, for the purpose that God had created it for. He set it apart for him to come and live in it. Why did he create it? He, he took care of it. But then what did he do? He blessed it. He spoke well of it. Now, come back to chapter 1 of Genesis. There's a purpose in what he created. He says to man, verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God, what? Blessed them. And God said unto them, notice the blessing. He, he spake, well, man, here's your job. Here's, your, here, here's what your purpose is. Here's why I created you. See, he speaks well of it. Well, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Multiply. Get married, have kids. Your kids are going to get married and have kids, and you're just going to multiply out there. You're going to replenish the earth. You're going to fill up the earth with man, and you're going to subdue it. You're going to, have, you're, you're going to come in here, and you're going to be the king over it. You're going to run it. Now, notice there's a colon there after subdue it. And have dominion over. Now, Adam's was commissioned to not own, the having dominion over it has to do with the multiplying, the fruitful, multiplying, replenish, and subdue. Man was to go out and become the ruler of creation. He's been made in God's image, in God's likeness. Two different things, by the way, okay? He's got God's, he's God's man, 
and God said, here's why I need you to, I want you to go over there. You're going to get married, and you're going to have a bunch of kids, and your kids are going to have kids, and you're just going to pass down the purpose here, and you're going to subdue, and you're going to have, you're going to subdue it, you're going to gain control over it, then you're going to have dominion over it, you're going to be the king, the priest, and the prophet. You're going to run the show, man. That's what you're going to do. So everybody says, see, isn't man made in God's image? Well, not according to Genesis 5, verse 2. Come over to Genesis 5. Now, you know, we still have the, the three-part harmony that God made us with, but we're not made in, in, in God's image anymore. Genesis 5, verse 1, this is a book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So think about this. God makes Adam and Eve. By the way, they fall. They have Cain and Abel, right? But then Adam... Now he's going to have a kid later, but he's in his own likeness. You see, we're made in the image of Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. You were, by the way, Adam was created in the image. Notice how he says that. Called them their name Adam in the day when they were created. But then in verse 3, and begat a son. You weren't created, you were born. You were begotten. You're a begat. <laughs> you begat. <laughs> okay. You've been begatten. Boy, I'm making up words all over tonight, aren't I? You were born in the image of Adam. Now, something happened to our humanity from Adam to Seth, a little thing called sin and the fall. So the image of God has not been erased. It has been effaced, quote-unquote. Okay? We're still valuable to God. We're still usable. We're still the main thrust of his plan, both in the earth and in the heavenly places we learn today. But we're not all in God's image. We're not in his likeness. Why? Because sin has marred that. But yet, what did he do? He blessed man. He says, your purpose is to reclaim the earth. Your purpose is to bring it back under the headship and the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to fill it up with people who will love him and who will worship him and who will glorify him. And there's this whole line of godly thinking. And that's why I've said it, I've said it a thousand times, if not once, you know, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the main theme in Scripture is the authority of a throne over this universe. Who's, that's the conflict of the ages. Who's in charge? Who's running the show? Now, by the way, what happens here after, in, after Genesis 5? Who shows up? Noah does. Genesis 6, right? The flood. Now come over to Genesis 9. Because what does God tell Noah when he gets off the boat? You see, to restore God's headship over planet Earth, he needs man to do that. He blessed the Earth. He blessed man. He spoke well of, of, uh, of living on the Earth. He had, was ready to come back. He, he's ready to come in and establish his kingdom on the Earth. Man falls, but yet man still has an edict to carry out. So the blessing, back in Mark 10, don't leave Genesis 9 just yet. In Mark 10, the blessing of the children has to do with God's plan to, to reestablish the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth through a kingdom vested in the nation of Israel. And he's saying to them there, these are the ones that are going to be bringing in that kingdom. That's who they are. Who are they? They're children raised by godly parents who produced a godly life, who's produced godliness in their lives, and they're, they're passing it along. Now look at Genesis 9, just so you see this, verse 1. 
and God blessed Noah. He's going to speak well of Noah and his sons and said unto them, here's what he said to them. Here's what he spoke well of them. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Do you notice there's no subdue or dominion? Verse 7, and you being fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. You see there's no dominion over the earth. There's no subduing it because what is God now introducing in Genesis 9? Human government, that fourth institution. He's now saying, you guys are going to have dominion over sections of the earth. You're not going to dominion over all the earth. No, you're going to have dominion in, in the issue of na nations, chapter 10 of Genesis. You're going to come in now and you're going to have, you're going to come in and you're going to have control over this section and that section and maybe this one over here and this one over here. And it's not until Genesis 12 do you see where God says, now we're going to have a seed have dominion over all the earth again. And that's Abraham's seed, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now the whole earth will be back under the dominion of the seed. Until then, we got a few, you know, we got little national pockets and nations and so forth. So Noah gets the same commission that Adam got minus the dominion part. Why? Because he's established human government. He's established nationalism. And he's established the fact that now it's going to be nations. And then in Genesis 12, he says, yeah, but I have a nation that's going to run it all. Now come over to Genesis 27. Genesis chapter 27. So now we have Abraham. He passes the blessing to Isaac. Isaac to Jacob. Okay? Genesis 27, 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So there's been a hatred now. By the way, Ishmael had it with Isaac. Esau has it with Jacob. Uh, in Ezekiel, and I couldn't find it. I know it's in Ezekiel. It's like I couldn't find. By the way, that Mark thing I couldn't find Sunday, it's verse like verse 15. Mark 4.15, okay? And it says Satan is the, is the foul. I knew I would find it. But, so in Ezekiel, it talks about uh, the ancient hatred that's there. And what happens is, is they hate, Esau hates Jacob because of the, of the blessing that was passed from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. Now, the reality of it is, is Jacob didn't steal it. Esau sold it. But all, what all of that comes from is it comes from the spiritual jealousy over the prosperity that God had vested in the Abrahamic covenant. Because if you do what I say, I'm going to bless you far. I'll rain stuff down out of heaven and you don't have enough room to, to store it. And that's literally what's happened here. That hatred there. But uh, what I show you, verse 41, is because Jacob, because of the what? The blessing. See? There's a blessing here. There's a spiritual blessing that's coming on the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on that seed line because of who they are. And a physical blessing. And Esau hates him. And it's really jealousy, a spiritual issue of jealousy because of the prosperity that's to come to pass. Now, go back to Mark 10. On your way, if you stop there at Mark 4, I say this tonight, and I'll forget Sunday, but I'll just show you the verse. Mark 4, in Mark 4, 4, which is what I was, we were talking about, the birds and the fowls eating and everything, and fowls in Scripture. Verse 13, and, and he said unto them, 
Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and take away the word that was sown in their hearts. And Satan is, uh, the fowls are defined as Satan. So when you look at all those birds back there in the Old Testament, think about Satan. Anyway, go back to Mark 10. I will not say that Sunday because we're not talking about eternal judgment anymore. I got it on the tape. Somebody will hear it and pass it along. Okay? Mark 10, 16. He blesses them. He put his hands on them and he blessed them. And again, that issue there of blessing is these are the ones that are going to be the the children that are going to bring in the kingdom of God. These are, the end of verse 14, of such is the kingdom of God. Okay? So, you've got all four institutions here. We're going to be bringing in the kingdom, but we've got all four institutions here. You've got one, volition, make a choice. Bam. Make a choice to get married, obviously, because marriage is the next one which then we have kids, right? But think about the making the choice. The next thing that we're going to see next time, verse 17, is a rich young ruler. What did he ask? What do I got to do to have eternal life? The Lord said what? Sell it all. But he couldn't because that was a lot of him. He was rich, okay? And uh, sell it all and what? Follow me. Now, he doesn't because he loved this thing. And he had great riches, and great riches had him, they say. So what is he demonstrating? There's a heart issue. So they're going to make a choice. Here's your heart issue. Where's your heart lie? You're going to get married. And then you're going to come over here, and you're going to produce children, a godly generation that's going to produce a godly generation that's going to move all the way down into bringing in and producing that strong nation needed to be that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that righteous nation, to bring in that kingdom. So when, when the Lord sets up the kingdom, it's not like Aladdin and the boom, it's there, okay? <laughs> He's going to produce that righteous nation of people again, not like Wizard of Oz, instantly there it is, but He's going to produce it who uh, it's going to be people who have made a choice to believe him who've applied then that choice to their life who then are producing the families who can produce the life of that culture that's the, designed to fill up the earth that's worshiping and loving him and that just doesn't happen overnight just Abracadabra, boom. It's going to, it's to be there, the whole. Now, in Mark 10, they know nothing of the dispensation of grace. Okay? What are they doing? They're moving right into 70th week of Daniel. That's where they're headed. They know, that's where they think they're going. Now, they don't know about the interruption. So, okay, and that doesn't mean after it's a poof. <laughs> you know, you think about, I was watching the, I had a few minutes, so I was watching the, the news on the computer, on YouTube TV, on the computer, and I hit pause, and it paused. Then it hit play, and it picked right up where it paused. That's what God did with the timeline. He hit pause. And then when the dispensation of grace is over, he'll hit pause, he'll hit play, and he'll pick right up where he pauses, where, which is Stephen seeing the Lord's standing, time for wrath. So there's, you've got all of that, okay? They need to be doing exactly what he, they're, they're going to do exactly what he told Adam in the garden in Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. They will have the subdue and the dominion because they are the true Israel of God. They're in that kingdom. But what are they first to do? Replenish, subdue, they're going to be doing that. And that's what the Lord is communicating here to the, 
what the Lord's telling the little flock here, the disciples, the apostles, is this is what my ministry is all about. My ministry is all about getting that people group ready to go into the kingdom. And you guys are it. And I put my stamp on you, and you're there. Okay? Now, we'll pick up here next time because the time's up, the hour's up. We'll, look, we'll get into the rich, the rich young ruler. Okay? So just catch what he's doing. He's, brought, he's gone full circle. He went all the way back to creation and said, remember those four institutions of creation? This is why we set them up. It's for the orderly maintenance of culture, of society. And here's the ultimate of it, is my kingdom. If you think about, you want to tear a society down, a culture down, a nation down, you, uh, you first attack the family unit, then you attack marriage, and then you take away the choice, the volition. You, Rome was always the great illustration of that. That's how the fall of Rome happened. But the United States of America is the next great illustration of, that, of a great empire, a great country falling. What do you do? You mess with the family. You mess here. And then boom. It's ironic, though, when you go look at other countries that are quote-unquote third world. You know what they have? Strong families, strong marriages, and str therefore strong choices. And yet we look at them and we go, how can that be? Well, it's because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we've decided not to at the moment. The Lord does that so that he can illustrate to the little flock, this is what my ministry is all about. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word, for the look into it, for the instructions in our heart as we look at these things and as we think about them, that we too can be careful to maintain the institutions in our lives today in the age of grace for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.